It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Glad that you're here uh, this morning. I am I'm, uh, just slightly, slightly tired. Uh, we bought a puppy, and it's, it's not going to end up on the screen quite yet because uh, I forgot to give that to uh, the folks in the back, and they're, they're going to try to get it up uh, there here shortly. But uh, yeah, so I, I was supposed to get up with the puppy and take it out. And so I took it out at like, I don't know, midnight. And then the thing just like sits down and like looks at me and doesn't go to the bathroom and says, okay, fine. So I put him back in his cage or whatever that thing is. And he's uh, some of you dog people, you know, you, you're really used to this stuff, but uh, put him back in there and then he starts barking again and whining. And so finally I take him out again and uh, anyway, uh, so I was, all, I was sitting there sleeping with one eye open most of the night, just going, oh my gosh, I've got to preach in a couple of hours here, and uh, I'm in trouble. So if the sermon uh, stinks today, you will know why. Um, Pastor Matt got a puppy, so that's, uh, that's too bad. And they'll try to get that up here in just a minute, and we'll, uh, we'll all ooh and all together as soon as that happens. But we're in, we're in Ephesians chapter 4. And we just made this transition from believing to becoming. Or making this transition from doctrine, which is like the stuff that you should believe, and moving towards uh, application. So we're going from like the stuff, you know, the, the things that, um, that are hard to understand, that are hard to believe sometimes about, about God, that he calls those who come to him that he is incredibly gracious and merciful in spite of the fact that we have been completely sinful and dead in our sins and all of that. And yet he just in love has predestined us for adoption and all of these really high-minded things that happen that are, um, that are taking place. And, and so here we are as, as people, we've learned all these things from the first three chapters of Ephesians and now we're on to like, okay, really what does it look like when the rubber meets the road? What does it look like to actually be somebody who is a Christian, to actually be somebody who is like walking that out? Because what can happen so many times is that we can get so into doctrine so into believing these things about God that it never really changes our lives. It, 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 it never really you know, comes home uh, into our hearts to cause us to be people that are really the people of God, where we're, we're not acting like the people of God. And so we don't really express anything uh, about who Jesus is. We're not walking that out. We're not keeping in step with the Spirit, as it says in Galatians, we're just kind of acting in and of ourselves, uh, in our flesh, and nothing really gets transformed. And I have a camera that's pointed at my dog, and what I didn't think about when we put that camera on the dog is that it would be buzzing in my uh, pocket the entire time. And so this dog has, has really gypped you. Oh... We haven't quite named him yet, but the kids, the kids are dying. We are, we're thinking about Maverick, um, or we talked about Goose as well. Why not? You know. Um, but I, I, every one of the kids, I like begged my wife to let me name one of the kids Chevy. I don't know why. I I love Chevys and I love Chevy Chase, and so 
So then I was like, here's my opportunity to get to name this dog Chevy. And the kids were like, I don't think so. So it's, it's like, you know, anyway, he's, he's incredibly cute. But I, I mean, I think he could be either a Maverick or a Chevy. Uh, but we'll, we'll see. Anyway, okay, what was I saying? Okay, we learn a bunch of things about the Bible, but then that never comes home to our hearts. It doesn't transform us. And in part, it's because it's, it's, we have this sacred secular split where it's like, this is what's sacred is I read these things, I read the, the Bible, but then that just doesn't really ever transform us. It doesn't really take root in us and we don't end up being people who are acting in line with the truth of the gospel. We just end up being people that are, um, we're still acting in the flesh even though we know all these things. And the, the hard part is to connect these things. I know pastors who go after each other online because they have differing points of view. Like one of them is, uh, says that the other one is woke and the other one says that the other one is liberal or something like that. And you've got two guys that are supposed to be preaching the word of God who are just going after each other. Just like in public, like it, it's just, it's insane. And that's, and that's not just pastors, that's Christian people who don't express the gospel and, and they don't, and part of it is because it's like you heard the words of the gospel. I, I heard the words of the gospel, but then I never actually walked that out. I never actually lived that out because it, it we just think, well, I, I, I prayed a prayer or I, I, I heard the gospel. But the, the whole thing is that Paul says, I want this to actually make a difference in your life. I want it to actually transform you. I, I want you to be different people because you know the gospel. And so that's, that's what's hard about this. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So what it's saying here is he's saying, listen, I, I, I want you to live a life that is equal weight. The words there, the word worthy, it essentially is, is kind of referencing the idea of scales, like kind of um, primitive scales, the way that you'd, you'd weigh something out, you put like, Five ounces here, and you'd weigh five ounces of whatever uh, on, on the other side. This is saying, make, make sure that your life, the way that you live, the way that you walk is equal weight to the calling that you've re received. The calling, which is the, the gospel, which is the truth of the gospel. And so that your life is living in equality with that. That's, that's, that's what he's calling you and I to but what also is happening here is he's saying, I want you to walk uh, worthy of the calling. He's saying, eager to maintain. There's this maintaining that needs to happen. Now think about this for just a second, that he, he isn't saying, I want you to start this. I want you to make it happen. I want you to develop this. I want you to do any of the, these things. It's saying, it's, it's like it's a foregone conclusion that it's already there eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So like there is this thing that's happened to us. If you read in chapter two, about halfway in there, it's talking about how there's this 
Unity that's been brought between humanity, between Jew and Gentile, and it's brought them together. And so, like, as a result of being saved by the gospel, by Jesus Christ on the cross, like, there's something that happens between fellow believers, which is like, now we have something in common, which is the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God is present within us, like, there is this unity that is there. And it's like, it's already there, and now I want you to maintain it. It's like you've been given something brand new, like when you get a brand new car. And you, you say, okay, I'm going to change the oil all the time or charge the batteries or whatever it is now, nowadays. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wash it. I'm gonna, I, it's going to be really nice. I'm going to try to maintain the value of this vehicle or the value of the thing that I've purchased. I want to maintain it on a regular basis. And in essence, that's what you've been given. The, when, when you think about biblical truths, so many of these things are things that are, you already have now live like you have them. You already have this unity. You are, you are, it's already there and now I want you to live as though you actually have it because you do have it. And he says, I want you to be eager to maintain this to maintain this unity. Now, as I said, there's so many, so many problems in the local church. Like so many, and I would, I would venture to say more, uh, more often than not, churches are a disaster when it comes to unity. In fact, most of the time, it's disunity in a local church. Man, I, I have family that has been uh, in ministry um, some of them have passed away. Some of them are still around today. And I, could, I, could, I know the uh, ugly underbelly of Christian ministry and all of the fights and all of the, the infighting and the disunity that takes place. And for some reason, just I was referencing these, these pastors that are going after each other online. It's like for some reason, like we forget passages like this. And so there is no maintenance there is no maintenance of, like, we have the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God brings unity between us, and the Apostle Paul is saying, I want you to walk that out. I want you to continue to walk that out. Now, how would we maintain this unity? So he says that at the end, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, but he had given uh, some key words there. And he started with, Humility. I want you to walk in humility. Walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And the first way is through humility. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it's the chief of all qualities of a Christian. It is this humility that should describe who we are. That there should be a regular sense of humility. Now, thank God, I don't have to work on this one because I've already, I've already gotten it, right? That... Humility thing is just, I mean, we're good, right? Everyone else is the problem. Let me just tell you, let me just tell you, this is a, a difficult one. It's difficult. It's so difficult. I, I was remembering all of the ways, or trying to remember all of the ways, uh, that I have not been humble over the years. I, and as soon as I, I thought about that, there was a particular instance um, in the early days of the church there was another local large church that had come alongside of us. 
And one of the, their pastors said, I'd be glad to serve on your board until you have local elders. And I was like, thank you, that's so awesome. And at one point I got into a heated discussion with this older man and somehow I insinuated that one day it would be better for them to just sell off everything and give the proceeds of their buildings and all of their infrastructure to churches like mine. And I said this to him in a meeting. It's one of the most embarrassing moments of my life that I was such an arrogant jerk. Like there's nothing more arrogant than a first or second year church planter, by the way. So be kind to them because they're going to need it uh, over the years, especially if you go to plant uh, a church with somebody. But there's just such, there's this passion that I had and I felt like I was so right and I felt like I was, I was right on. And yet, man, I lacked humility so much. And I didn't even know how much humility I lacked. I, I wasn't self-aware. And so I had some big run-ins with some people. And I, and, I, and I had godly men who spoke into my life. And I had to listen to them. And I had to ask questions like, hey, how do you experience me? Or when they, when they came with me to a meeting and I said some things, I had to get done with the meeting because no one wants to tell you that you're a jerk, that you're not, not humble. No one wants to tell you that. And so I had to ask, hey man, how do you, how do you feel like I, I did in that meeting? Well, Matt, you were a little abrasive in this. And I think you could have said that differently when you said that. And as much as it was like, it, it was a, a stab to my heart, like, ah, crud. I'm working on this and I'm not doing well at it. It was such a grace to me that somebody would tell me and that someone would, would tell me that stuff. But it goes, it goes beyond that. It goes into my marriage where it's, it's not just like in the leadership situations that I'm in, but it's in my marriage. And, and, and by the way, I don't, feel, <laughs> I don't feel like I'm growing in this sometimes. I, I feel like, I feel like, gosh, Lord, I feel like I should have learned this. I feel like I should have gotten it already. I feel like I, sh I should be somebody who exemplifies, a husband that exemplifies humility in my home, and yet I struggle with it. And in fact, most of the time in, in the local church, like when I see a marriage that's falling apart, I say most of the time, I don't, I don't, I don't mean all of the time, but I say most of the time when I see a marriage falling apart, I'll have a conversation with the husband and, and I will try to speak into as gently as possible, like, hey man, here's what I see happening in your marriage. You're mistreating your wife or what have you. And she's, and he'll come back, she's done this and she's done that. She's done the other thing. And I haven't done that. I've, I haven't been that way. And what, these marriages begin to fall apart because there's a man that's at the center of that marriage that refuses to see that he might have a role in the dysfunction in his marriage that he might have responsibility in the middle of that. And so sometimes I'll say, um, bro, do you know what a blind spot is? Yeah, I know what a blind spot is. Do you, do you see that, that this could be a blind spot in your life? It's not a blind spot. It's not a blind spot. I, you came to me. You came to me. And, I, and, and, and you want me to help you with your marriage and I'm, and I'm sitting here and I'm trying to help you see that you might have 
a, a problem in your, your marriage that's directly related to how you refuse to see that, that the way that you're treating your spouse, the way that you honor her or dishonor her, the way that you're living is pridefully. It is, you, you're refusing to hear it. You're refusing to, to understand. My experience in, in my marriage is that ultimately, like I have to own whatever it is, whatever I can. I mean, discussions in my home do not get resolved without one or both of us saying, okay, I'm sorry. I know I've been defending myself this whole time and I've been and saying that this is, and we, and we have to talk that out. Like this is, this is why I said that. This is what that came down to. And at the end of the day, like what I have to see in my marriage is that like, I don't want to see my wife hurting. I don't want to see her uh, feeling like she's unloved. And so ultimately what has to happen is that I have to grow in humility, like in a, a very real and tangible sense. And the way that that has to happen is I have to say, okay, all right, I'm sorry. That's not the way that I want you to feel. That's not what I wanted you to do. When you're like humility is expressed in saying, man, this, this is not what I wanted for us. This is, this is not how I wanted you to feel treated. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. It's a willingness to receive wise counsel. That's humility is expressed in walking out the gospel in like, in, in saying, I want to hear what someone else has to say about me. Like you can't become a Christian without first hearing the hard news, which is I'm a sinner. I, I do not deserve grace. I do not deserve anything that God has for me. And yet he saved me. Like that's how you get in. Like, like it's, it, that's not the only way, but it's through God's calling of you, but it's ultimately through admitting this and saying, I need the grace of God in my life. There's a humility about it. That's the way that it begins and that's the way that it continues. Somebody who is looking to learn how to be humble is somebody who is looking to receive wise counsel there's somebody who would be willing to go to counseling. Now, not every counselor is a great counselor. They just, they just aren't always that great. But you've got to go to counseling. You gotta go, try a couple out. When you're unwilling to go to counseling, that's a huge problem in your marriage. You've gotta have someone else speaking into your life. And it, maybe it's not like a paid counselor. Maybe it's somebody, it's, a, it's another couple who's wise and godly, who you go to and you say, hey, here's what we're dealing with. This is what we're doing. Can you help us figure this out? My wife and I have done that. It's, it's, I, we're currently in counseling um, on a regular basis. Bring our stuff and say, here's, here's what's going on. It's seeking input from other people. It's asking, how do you experience me 
in this and then trying to understand that, trying to respond to it. And ultimately what this looks like is it's expressed in the life of Jesus. Like if you look at Philippians 2, Philippians 2 verse 4, it says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, Philippians 2 verse 4, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Like the, the, the word of God is here. And it's, it's saying this, like this is who Jesus is. This is what Christmas is about. Is that we're, we're, we're saying even though he was, uh, even though he was God, he did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. He, he's, been, he's been found in human form, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Like he condescends, comes down. And he becomes like me and you. He becomes a baby, a helpless baby. He takes on the form of a servant. And the, the thing about what it means to be a Christian, what it means, what, what that means is this. It doesn't mean if I get this, then I am a Christian. No, it, it says this. I have been given it. I have received it. And now I want to walk that out. So what does it look like to walk this out in my marriage? What does it look like to walk this out in my relationships? What does it look like to walk this out in my job? What's it look like to walk this out in the public sphere? What's that mean? Well, it means that this is who Jesus is. And so what am I like? So he went to death on a cross for my sake, he humbled himself. And so how do I humble myself in all of these situations? The incarnation, Christmas, exemplifies this about Jesus. It is the doctrine of the incarnation that then comes home to roost in our lives and allows us to begin to think, okay, how does this play out in my day-to-day -day relationships? How does this work in my life? People say, you know what? I don't really, it doesn't matter what you believe. What matters is that you become a better person. No, what the scriptures are saying is you cannot inherently become a good person without first knowing and believing the gospel. So we know and believe the story of Jesus Christ going the cross for us. And as a result, we bring that home and we live that out in our life. That's the first one, is to walk in humility. The second one is to walk in gentleness or meekness is what, is what the, the word means there. It can be, I think they're interchangeable. Uh, but, and meekness is not weakness, but power under control, if you've ever heard that before. My main issue with some of the conservative commentators today that claim to be Christians is a lack of gentleness. It's taking a biblical truth. God has created them male and female, and uh, it should be one man and one woman. 
uh, in a lifelong marriage uh, forever, taking those types of truths and then going mm, and shoving them in people's face. And you know what gets disregarded? Everything from the former. All of those truths about being created male and female in the image of God, when you come into the public sphere and you shove it into someone's face and with a lack of gentleness, I'm not saying don't say it. I'm just saying when you say it with a lack of gentleness, what happens? Your message is disregarded. The message of Jesus is disregarded. It's, it's, what we have to understand is that those truths are there to help us. They're there to help us live the way that God would have us live so that we can experience joy, so that we can experience happiness. And when you or I uh, continually kind of put forward people that claim to be Christians and yet are not gentle in the way that they communicate, that is awful. That's awful. That's not um, walking in a manner that's worthy of the calling it's not, it's not expressing who Jesus is at all, which by the way, Jesus says this in Matthew eleven twenty nine: 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. That's what Jesus says. Today's commentators, today's uh, uh, political people are not learning from Jesus. They're learning from what works. They're saying this works works. Be aggressive, be abrasive, be all of those things. And when we're looking in the political sphere, when we're looking at, at our world, what we need to understand is that the people that we support are, 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 are people that we're saying, I, I resonate with what they're saying. And what I want to say, and what I hope you want to say, is that like, I resonate with Jesus. Because when Jesus says, Take my way of life on you. Take the way that I've, I've lived and I want you to live that out. When he says it, he says, because this is what I'm like. I'm gentle. I'm lowly. And when you're with me, you're gonna find rest. There's this gentleness that should be there. Over and over again, Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 1 Timothy 6.11, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. 2 Timothy 2.25 talks about correcting our opponents with gentleness. Why? Because God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Why would you, why would you not like go to your opponent and say, man, I serve Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus and he is gentle with me with all of my failings, with all of my problems, with all of the things, all of the reasons that he should never have saved me. And yet he's gentle and lowly in heart so that I get a second hearing. And the second hearing is for this purpose. It is so that they might become Christians. 
man, this, this person vehemently disagrees with me and yet they are beyond gentle and gracious. There's a gentleness that should be there. And it's not just in the political sphere. It's in every sphere. It's, man, one of the hardest things for me is when I, get, when I get irritated, when I get frustrated, especially like in a restaurant or a store or something like that, man, I am quick on the phone with like customer service, right? Uh, man, I'm so glad we don't have recordings of those things for you. I don't, I don't mean that entirely, but I, over the years, have just thought, it does not matter that they don't know that I'm a Christian. I still have to act like a Christian because God sees it. Because I'm not expressing who God is. And I, and I don't know how that's gonna lead to something. And so I have to be gentle. I have to be gentle. There was the early years of, of our church and there were, there were some pretty popular authors, speakers, preachers that were not gentle, that were not lowly. And there was, there was a part of me that really resonated with that because I was like, man, that feels manly. And then I've just found out over the years, just little by little, man, gosh, I was so off. I was so off. I was so off. And I'm, I'm, I'm praising God today because, not because I have accomplished becoming a gentle person, but I think that there are moments where someone will say something along the lines of that was gentle the way that you handled that. And I'm going, yes, I'm learning, I'm becoming a man who has power under control. I'm, I'm becoming somebody who is becoming more like Jesus and I thank him for that and then I totally screw up again and again and again and then maybe I get back on the wagon after that. But man, just so many, so many times that I have needed to be gentle but I, but I haven't been. And this is something that Christians need to exemplify. I can't say this enough. Man, what are your conversations like? Men, especially in your marriage, are you gentle with your wife? Are you, are you gentle with her? Are you speaking tenderly, softly to her? Hosea 2.14 says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. It's, it's God speaking to his people who have been unfaithful to him. And he says, I'm gonna bring them out into the wilderness and I'm gonna speak tenderly and graciously to them. And if God is like that with sinful people, why can't you be like that even when you're wronged? Why can't I be like that even when I've been wronged? That's what, that's what God is calling us to. So we wanna walk in humility, we wanna walk in gentleness, we wanna walk in patience. What, is it, what does it look like to walk in patience? Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that, that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It, the Lord is patient with you. I mean, one of the biggest problems with my lack of patience is probably because I'm not patient with myself. I don't see God being patient with me, I see God being impatient with me. Maybe it comes from my childhood, maybe it comes from something else, but I, man, beat myself up inside, and guess what? 
my impatience beats other people up, at least in my mind, it, in, in some way. But when you, when you look at, what, here's the believe part. Like, he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. Like, he is long-suffering. You look over and over again, Exodus 34, Exodus 34, 6. It says uh, that the Lord passed before Moses. God is showing himself to Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Like, this is who God is. Like the believe part is like, man, I gotta believe that he's just patient with me, that he's just patient with me, that God, I screwed up again and he's just patient with me. He is slow to anger. He's patient with me. Psalm 86, 15, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 103, verse eight, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Uh, Psalm 145, verse eight, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Oh my gosh. Like what does God want you to know about him? I am patient with you. I am patient with you. I am patient with you. Some of you lived lives of hell before you came to Christ and maybe you are getting it. You're just going, I can't believe he didn't strike me dead. I can't believe he even let me in. I can't believe, and you get the patience of God. But some of us don't get the patience of God because we think that we're like, dang right he saved me, because look at my life. I have been a good person. And then you screw up once and you go, oh my gosh, he's gonna strike me down. He's gonna take me out. He's, there's this fear that's welling up because you don't know this God. He is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He loves you immensely. And as a result, he wants you to be slow to anger. He wants you to be patient. He wants you to be patient with your friendships. He wants you to be patient um, when you're with your family this week which is difficult sometimes, right? He wants you to be patient in your marriage when you feel like your spouse just isn't getting it. He wants you to be patient with your kids. He wants you to be patient in so many different ways because he's patient with you. He says, this is who I am with you and this is how I want you to act. I want you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And walking that out is saying, man, God, I see your patience for me. And so therefore I can be patient for others. I can be patient with others in my day-to-day -day life and in the things that really bother me and the things that are really getting to me. It says, he wants us to walk in bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. Two other words that are used for this concept of bearing with one another in love are uh, long-suffering and forbearance, similar to patience, 
but it means, it ultimately means long-tempered. The opposite is short-tempered, being set off. Today, there's such a strain of narcissism that runs through our society. And our society has built itself in this way. It's, I mean, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but many other cultures are so much about the community, what's best for the community. America has become so individualized, and maybe the West in general, but has become so individually focused that you do what's best for you. I mean, you've, maybe you've seen the... Um, you know, various interviews where somebody walks around and says, do you think this should be wrong or right? And, and people will continually say, no, I, as long as you're not hurting anybody else, as long as that's what makes you happy, then you should just continue to do that. So there's, there is no right or wrong, but ultimately what it speaks to is this, is that like you can be a narcissist as long as it doesn't hurt other people. You can just decide what's right for you and you can act in any way that you want. With, with things such as like, I decide after I've had kids or even not, not kids, after a little while, like I just don't love my spouse anymore. And so I'm just gonna leave them because that's what makes me happy. But that contributes to all kinds of things. It contributes to crime and depression. It, it contributes to kids feeling unsafe and unloved and all of these things. Simply because you just decided that you just need to do whatever makes you happy. Well, that's narcissism. That's what narcissism is. This is saying, I want you to be long-suffering. I want you to be long-tempered instead of being short-tempered. We blame others, though, for our short-temperedness. We say, you triggered me. It's used to say, you know what? You're at fault for my reaction. The reason why I'm unhappy right now is because you triggered me. Now, in, in some respect, like we have to be aware, like perhaps your spouse experienced some kind of abuse and, and, and when you lift a hand or you raise your voice or anything like that, I mean, just generally, that's typically not a good thing, but especially when you do that, it triggers emotional trauma that like is bottled up inside of your spouse or something along those lines. Now that's, that's true, but what we have accentuated in our culture is this, is that like you've triggered me and so therefore it's your fault that I lost my temper. It's your fault that I am the way that I am and that the way I acted and that I said the things that I said. It's your fault, you triggered it, you made it happen. You victimized me and so therefore I had to act in this way. That's not what the scriptures have for us. What the scriptures have for us is that you would bear with one another in love. Warren Wiersbe says that this is the ability to endure discomfort without fighting back. It's the ability to be triggered and to not throttle, right? It's the ability to continually put up with to continually deal with, they did it again, they did it again. No, 
that we could talk about. Maybe you got some things in your life, in your marriage, and in a relationship where you're like, they keep doing this. I'm, I'm not saying there shouldn't be boundaries. There should be boundaries, all right? There's a great book from Cloud and Townsend called Boundaries. You should read it. Fantastic book. There should be boundaries, but there's something about just regular life, which is, you know, my friends, I have friends that do things that, that bother me, right? I have family that do things that bother me. And my growth in patience and in long-suffering is key to be able to maintain relationships and to be able to exemplify what the Word of God says, to be able to exemplify how Jesus responds to me, how Jesus responded. If you look at Isaiah 53, verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is, uh, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Man, how hard is that to not open your mouth? Jesus had every right to say, you are victimizing me. He's literally being victimized. He's being beaten. He's being unjustly crucified. And yet he opened not his mouth. What does it look like to bear with one another in love? Jesus exemplifies that. When he comes in the form of a baby by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he lives this life of perfection, and yet he is still killed in the end. And he's led like a lamb to the slaughter and he does not open his mouth. Are you having problems in a relationship? I don't know anybody who isn't, by the way. So the answer is yes, right? You having, you having problems in, in that department? Look at how much of this is about just relationships. It's not about the environment. It's not about how much money you make. It's not about any of those things. It's, it's simply how you live with other people. The gospel of Jesus Christ should be expressed in everything that you and I are doing. Not because some, for some reason God's gonna let us go, that he's gonna say, you know what? You're not saved anymore because you're not acting that way. No, he's saying, no, I saved you you have been called, and now I want you to act like you're one of my kids. And I don't think it's too much to ask. I ask my kids to represent me well, and they still remain my kids even when they don't represent me well. I still love them, and the thing is, I am not like God because I am quick to anger, I'm impatient, I'm not gentle so many times. I'm, I'm not humble so many times, but I want to grow in that. And so I've got to look at the believe part in order to become what Jesus is calling me to. So I invite you to that this morning. It's just simple to look at the gospel of Jesus Christ and to live your life out of that because Jesus went to the cross for you. He died for you 
It's for me. And we're going to go to the Lord's table here in just a moment. Let me uh, pray for us. Lord Jesus, I want to just lift up these people that are here in this room and those that will listen to this message later. Lord, so many of us just have um, broken relationships and difficulties that are just within our lives. And Lord, we just, we just need your help by the power of your spirit to respond. Or maybe just before the conversation, before we get together for dinner, before we go back into our workplace with that irritating employee, with that irritating coworker, before we um, go back into um, our schools with people that are um, frustrating to us. And Lord, that we would see how frustrating we are to you. And yet you just are long suffering. You're slow to anger, you're abounding in steadfast love. Lord, I pray that we would just begin to express that to those people. Maybe there needs to be some boundaries there. But Lord, how can we begin to show that we want to live a life that's worthy of the calling to which we've been called. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Can we grab uh, or come to the Lord's table here?